Hey, what's up, guys? This is Zach Like here, and you're listening to the one, the only, the Kings of the Ring audio drama podcast, home of the Diamond Donny Gold, baby. Woo! Let's get it, boy! You're listening to the Kings of the Ring podcast network. Welcome back, folks. The wait is over. Season 3 is here. You just heard one of our patrons, Zach Like, the real name of Executioner Number 3 in Charlotte, the one with the STDs that Tommy and Hercules were so worried about catching from that one girl. I want to give a shout-out to Zach Like and some of our other patrons who joined during Seasons 1 and 2, Tusi Mailo, Buck Rosenberg, Jason Razor, and KJ Parker putting in renewed focus and attention on the patrons of the Kings of the Ring here, and hope you'll all consider supporting the only audio drama podcast based on wrestling and the only fiction podcast in all of wrestling. But I want to give everyone a huge thank you for listening to the show and for your patience since the season finale last year. But we're back on a regular schedule and not going anywhere. And that's where we're at. The shit hit the fan in many ways to close season one. So without any further ado, let's go to the ring. Kings of the Ring is intended for mature audiences. Today's episode would be rated M.A. for graphic descriptions and sounds of violence, excessive profanity, and some mid-80s cigarette smoking. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Kings of the Ring. Referee shouts at Goliath, who eventually rolls off and pulls himself up to his feet, egging on the fans. The referee leans over Buddy Melrose, who is completely still. He looks into his closed eyes and slaps his face, which just rolls to the side, unmoving, as Goliath drunkenly dances around the ring, riling up the fans. The referee looks to Nelly Gotch at ringside, with tears in his eyes shaking his head. Nelly Gotch slides into the ring to Buddy Melrose's lifeless body as he puts his ear to his chest while the ref shakes Buddy to no avail. Charlie Gotch watches in horror. Hollywood Buddy Melrose lays motionless in the ring while Nelly Gotch is over him, slapping his face, trying to revive him. A doctor assigned to this event at Chicago Stadium, a younger fellow for once, runs into the ring and awkwardly stumbles through the ropes to check on Buddy while a tearful Nelly looks on, all the while glaring at the drunken Goliath dancing around at ringside while the referee shoves him, trying to get him back to the locker room. Get out of here, you big old. While most of the fans begin filing out to beat the Chicago traffic, a few curious onlookers notice something unusual might be happening as the heels usually don't get medical attention. The gurney slams through the doors leading to the ambulance waiting outside, with an unconscious Buddy Melrose rolled through by the EMTs. Charlie Gotch looks on, concerned for his old friend. All these damn mercs are gonna block the ambulance from getting out of here. Someone get a couple of the boys to work another match to keep the fans inside. Nelly is right behind Buddy as he's taken away into the ambulance, near the loading docks of the arena. Charlie, beginning to accept the tragedy, stops the referee. Bart, what happened? Before the referee can even answer, 
Nellie walks over, fuming. I'll tell you what happened. That fat, revolting monster killed Buddy Melrose. He came in drunker than a tin house cat and crushed Buddy to death. <laughs> Charlie, still trying to take it all in and make sense of it all, turns as Goliath arrives from the arena floor. Nellie, get me my bloody bottle. Nellie is trembling in rage. Fuck off. What the bloody hell did you just say? You just killed a man. You killed Buddy. Oh, piss off. I didn't kill anyone. You did. You caved in the man's chest because you're a drunk motherfucker and fucking dangerous in that ring. You watch your tongue, little man. Nellie, struggling with himself. <laughs> if it was his time to go, it was his time to go. Now get me my fucking grog. Nellie walks straight over to the duffel bag with a bottle of booze inside. You want your bottle? Okay, here's your fucking bottle. Nellie marches straight over with the half bottle of Crown Royal and smashes it on Goliath's head. The drunken Goliath falls to a knee as a chunk of glass sticks out of his head like a shark fin. Nellie jumps on him and starts punching him in the face, but to no effect. He may as well be punching a sack of flour. Goliath, in a rage, stands up his full seven feet and throws Nellie across the room. Stab it! Stab it! Charlie runs over to stand between them. Goliath, blood starting to pour out of the side of his head, grabs Charlie by the throat and slams him against the wall. This is all your fault, old man. Spoiling that little girl you call a son. The 60-year-old feels every year of it, unable to do a thing as his feet swing helplessly in the air like a child, and his entire bald head turns beet red like a tomato. Goliath, stop! Someone get the police! Nellie, his eyebrow bleeding from cracking it on the cold concrete floor of the arena, sees Goliath choking the life out of his father and looks around for any kind of a weapon. <laughs> Bastard. I'll fucking kill you. I'll kill Nellie stabs Goliath in the shoulders with a pair of scissors. Goliath drops Charlie to the floor as Nellie stabs him over and over and over again in the back. Holy shit. Mr. Shimasaki shouts as he and a few wrestlers walk in and see Charlie slumped on the floor. A bloody Nellie with a deranged look on his face, stabbing a bloody-faced Goliath. Nellie looks up regains his senses, and drops the scissors. Panting and sweating, Goliath falls to all fours, blood streaking down his back as Charlie stirs and looks up. The cops are coming! The cops are coming! Get the doctor for Goliath. Tell him a fan stabbed him on the way to the dressing room. What the fuck is going dad on out here? here before the Charlie cops come. Right? He'll be fine. Just another night with Goliath. Just like Dad wants. <laughs> Season 2, Episode 1, Big Time. Saturday evening in Baltimore, Maryland. A 10-year-old kid walks up to their large wooden console TV on the floor of the living room, ready to plop down belly first on a large soft rug to once again enjoy cable television. Dinner's going to be ready soon. Don't turn that on. Oh, Dad, come on. I'm watching the Empire Wrestling Federation. Wouldn't you rather watch the Baltimore Kilts or the Ews? None of that's on, Dad. 
and the kilts are gone. Well, hon, you've got until 7, then we're watching Hee Haw, like we do every Saturday. Hey, Dad, look, it's the Diamond Donnie Guild. I hate that guy. I wish Thor Hansel would kick his butt already. Look at that wrestling, though. What kind of arena is that? Diamond Donnie Gold, in a custom-made suit with diamond rings and bracelets, walks out onto the set on the same station he's been on most of 1984 from various arenas throughout the Midwest, Northeast, and Canada. But this time, he's in a location not familiar to the current audience of the Saturday Evening Cable Show, but very familiar to him, the WVBS Studios. Yeah, <laughs> Diamond Danny Gold, back with J-Devil and WVBS. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Delvo, back on TV for the first time in almost a year, tries to choke back its tears, looking away shyly from the camera. What a horrible year 1984 was, Jay. What happened to the sport of professional wrestling? I've never been so disgusted. The wrestling world was turned upside down into a living nightmare. Jay Delvo smiles and nods enthusiastically as he winks at the camera. I know I went through my own personal hair last year, and I look back at 1984, J. Delvo, as one big blur, and I don't even want to look back, complete and utter embarrassment. I apologize for the role I played. J. Delvo and the fans, touched by Donnie's open candor, agrees. You don't owe us any apologies, sir. That America used to turn on their TV sets each and every week and see the best in professional wrestling. And then everything went down the toilet. I agree 100% Donnie Gold, it was a crime. To think how that disgusting tub of goo, Jesse James was the world champion. Wait, wait a second Donnie, I thought you were talking about, oh never mind. The world heavyweight championship is about style and grace. And the thought of you tossing that 10 pounds of gold in the back of your dirty pickup truck has driven me out of my mind. One year ago, Jesse James, you got lucky. You had your best night, and I had my worst. But I'm back here now to set things right. And it all starts... Jesse walks out in his jeans and cowboy boots and cowboy hat, carrying the belt. The fans in the studio are cheering. Seeing Magic and Bird lined up across from each other for the first time in a year. <laughs> and here he is. What are you gonna do, big man? Huh? Huh? What are you gonna do? Huh? Jesse steps up as Donnie Gold stands in front of Jay Delvo. Jesse tosses the belt on the podium as Jay Delvo leans forward to put the mic in front of him. Jesse looks around, toothpick in his mouth, and blasts him. Oh my, Piercing's brawl is broken out here. Jesse James has heard enough as he's pounding on him with fist after fist. Jesse grabs Diamond Donnie Gold by the hair and throws him into the ring, beating him from pillar to post, ripping off his jacket, and the fans are going crazy. For the fans of the Alliance, it's a feeling that all is right in the world again, a return to normal. Meanwhile in Baltimore, this little kid doesn't know who this Jesse James is or what kind of wrestling this is, but he is hooked. J. 
Julian Kane, with his $100 weekly haircut and perfectly cut custom-made suit, looks out the windows of the Empire State Building, swirling his glass of bourbon. The new home of the Empire Wrestling Federation, a far cry from the humble Jersey City warehouse, where his father ran the company for decades. He turns back towards the unnecessarily large conference table, where the EWF Brain Trust is set. Nigel Davies and Les Henderson, former co-owners of Atlanta's Southeast Championship Wrestling, who sold their territory and accompanying cable TV slot to Julian last summer. A move that snuffed out SCW, one of the seven major territories, got Empire its first national cable TV show, and brought Nigel and Les into the Empire. The timing of this deal was perfect, as Julian had just fired the man sitting beside them right now, Louis the Greek Chinopolis. Louis, along with Sal Spinelli, were longtime assistants to Julian's father and were put in the will to receive controlling interest of the company if Julian failed to hit a certain level of profit in his first year in charge. This was not a secret to Julian. What was a secret was that Sal had conspired with the old head of accounting, another loyalist to Julian's father, to sabotage the books so Julian would believe his first year was a financially profitable one when it wasn't at all. Young Jerry Guzman sits at this table as well. He the man who stumbled upon this plot and rewarded by Julian with the permanent position of Chief Financial Officer of the EWF. While Julian took actions to save his hold on the company, highlighted by stealing the Carolinas' supercard concept with Empire Mania, the highest grossing wrestling show of all time, it wasn't enough. In the end, Julian had no choice but to give up his prime piece of cable real estate, the WVBS Saturday time slot, selling it to the Jesse James-run Carolina Wrestling Association for $1 million, which secured his permanent claim to the EWF, but gave his opposition life. And now those players, Nigel Davies, Les Henderson, and Louis the Greek, sit here together, all underneath Julian Kane, ready to run the Empire Wrestling Federation in 1985. I was hoping to squash the Alliance out completely last year, but 1985 is when we'll finish the job. They're reeling, and I'm ready to take it home. No more hope spots, no more comebacks. We go to the finish. Tell me, Nigel, who do we need to put the heat on? Who's ready to take themselves out? and save me the extra effort. Nigel Davies speaks. All South Wrestling is suffering, at least in comparison to their past. This Angel Brothers fiasco with them replacing Michael with a fake brother was doomed from the start. And when Gabriel shoot knocked him out during a match, the fans had enough and felt truly betrayed by Bert Ironside, who lied to their faces for months about something they believed in him for. Family and their efforts to replace Leroy Brown were laughable, and Bert simply gave up at some point. Speaking of Michael Angel, I told you all after Empire Mania to make him a clear number two babyface, ready to take over for Thor if needed. Well, that's off. Keep him in that upper level of babyface with Corporal Punishment, Tartan Kid, and the others, but nothing more than that. Hendo pipes in. What? Why? Michael Angel had the best match at Empire Mania. He saved the show. Louis the Greek speaks up. And those speak truth. Uh, Michael had coming out at Empire Mania. He become superstar. 
Julian makes a quick glance at Nigel Davies, who remembers what happened after Empire Mania that night. Gentlemen, despite Michelangelo coming out at Empire Mania, we cannot have anyone perceived to be a better option than Thor Hansen on top. Thor's spot is secure. He's more over than ever. He's selling more tickets than ever. And he's selling our new t-shirts like hotcakes. If the situation arose where we needed someone for Thor's spot, we can make the appropriate moves at that time. But Julian's assessment to keep Michelangelo with the rest of the pack is the sound move. Nigel looks back at Julian before lighting another cigarette, who responds with a look of approval. The others shrug and accept Nigel's answer. Moving right along, what about the rest of the yokels? Daniel Hawkins has begun tapings at the WVBS studios again, and Donnie Gold <clears throat> marked his return. How does that work anyway? It's the Carolina wrestling territory from Atlanta? That's stupid. They haven't quite worked that out yet, and that's why they'll fail. Now what about Gotch? AMW's champion Goliath left for Japan. As for Buddy Melrose, unfortunately, the other men at the table looked down in sorrow. Ha! What a bunch of losers. Is Goliath done with AMW forever now? Serves Charlie Gotch right, that son of a bitch. Should have taken my offer to buy him out last year. That wasn't real offer. You taunt him. I was there when you make call. Enough talk about the Alliance. I'm bored. What's going on with my company? What about those new guys who ditched Jesse James and Charlotte? The Hawaiian and the big muscle black guy. They top drawer in Charlotte, so I put them in good spot there, right? Just there. because I could sell out some high school gym in Bumblefuck, Carolina, doesn't mean shit up here. Their match with Rebels oversold Greensboro. That's 20,000 plus another 10 on closed circuit. Who? The Rebels? I don't even know who they are, and neither does the rest of the country. Nobody in America knows or cares about anything in the South. People in the South do. Listen. It's time we implemented a major doctrine into the Empire Wrestling Federation, right now and for the next 35 years. Everyone listen. From now on, we ignore the past of every wrestler in the EWF. That is how we promote our wrestlers from now on. If it didn't happen in the EWF, it didn't happen. Got it? <laughs> the people aren't idiot. We can't act like they just start wrestle EWF. They won't buy it. Of course they will. EWF has the most visibility, so we make the rules. Wrestling fans will accept the unacceptable if you keep doing it over a long enough period of time. If we pretend these wrestlers were born out of a garden like Cabbage Patch Kids, and ours is the only wrestling they see, then the fans will accept that. I am Booker. To book matches, uh, to build matchups, we use uh, the past, use history to tell story. If go back years, even better. If two guys used to be partner in Texas, now fight an empire, I use that. Boys use that in promo. To erase the past, uh, erase history, you take away my tool to be Booker. You don't need it, Louis. We don't need intricate stories. The Empire isn't the Godfather. We're a shoot 'em up action movie with a lot of machine guns and tits. You got this, Artie? You run the new EWF magazine. That's our media and is now under my control. None of your stories can reference any organization outside of the EWF. 
or even my father's era. So, uh, you want me to write a new 70-page monthly wrestling magazine and only talk about EWF? And pretend we're the only wrestling company in the universe? Exactly. Whatever you say, Curly, you're the boss. Oh, now isn't that nice? An employee who actually knows how to be an employee. Take notes, gentlemen. And that means TV, too. Let Chase Styles and the other TV commentators know. Thor Hansen didn't exist before he showed up in Chicago. I'm thinking about changing some names, too. Maybe this Tommy Aloha should be uh, Johnny Aloha, just to mark that he's Empire now and no longer Alliance. Half the reason you sign the Alliance, guys, is to steal their fans. If you ignore past and change name, it defeats all point. The fans know when they see the wrestlers. Even if I decided to call Michael Angel the Texas Cowboy and never called him Michael Angel again, the fans in Texas and Alabama still know they're getting Michael Angel, while the new fans around the country know they're getting this cool new guy called the Texas Cowboy. Yes, but then everything soak. That idea is the sheet, Julian. That make everything stink like shit for no reason. Yeah, I, I don't get this, Julian. Flair Bird leaves the Celtics for Chicago Bulls. You can't just start calling him Jeff Harvey and pretend he never played for the Celtics. It'd be a joke. Fans will accept this in time as perfectly normal. Trust me. They shake their heads. What's the deal with this Aloha and Hercules anyway? Uh, Tommy Aloha is this wine, hell of a worker. Moves like a cat and, and built like an Olympian. Before his match, he puts a lay on a girl in the crowd and then fucks her later that night. What? That is gimmick? Ring announcer tell fan this before a match? Oh no, they don't say it out loud to the fans. It's just what Tommy does. It's always the first thing I think of with him. Great way to mark his rats. I don't care what he does with his rats, but his Hawaiian gimmick of a lay on a fan is good. But tell him to do that with kids only. Helps the family-friendly atmosphere of EWF. He can fuck their mothers or their legal guardians. Everyone jots that down in their notes. What about this Hercules? He's like a strong man or something. We used him in the past too in Atlanta. He's a, a big strong fucker. Strong as a gorilla. But he don't really have a, a gimmick. He's just a, a big gentle black guy. Fans really like him before Jesse turned him heel last year. Hmm... We already have a big, gentle black guy in Leroy Brown. That's true. So we need to come up with a gimmick. He's really big and black. So maybe we could push an actual gorilla gimmick, like you said, Henderson. We could sell gorilla toys. We'd make a mint on that. Uh, most of the black folks I know don't really like being called a gorilla. Fine. Maybe we can play off his root somehow. I'll come up with something. How are the house show gates doing? Thor Hansen versus Kideon Kavanaugh on top. Strongest house show run in five years. We on West Coast Swing this week and back through Ohio, Michigan, Indiana. Advance already strong. Of course it is. Those Alliance fuckers left those states completely open and neglected. Those people were begging for wrestling. Now that they're Empire, they'll never watch anything else. Now, let's move this to dinner. What do you think, Nigel? Asaki again or Maxine's? Hendo remembers. In a place with that sushi or whatever you call it, that raw fish gimmick? That was a shit. As Julian gets up and throws on his cashmere coat, he looks at Louis. We can't afford to eat like this, right, Guzman? 
Jerry Guzman nods as Julian winks at Louie. See, Louis, we don't have to clip coupons for Big Boy anymore, since your little angle with Spinelli crashed and burned. Julian, you know I had nothing to do with that. Just kidding, Louis. If I had any questions about your loyalty, you wouldn't even be here. Truth is, we're making more money than ever before, with no surprises around the corner. We can afford to live like the major Manhattan company that we are, because that is the motto we live by at Empire. We will always be richer tomorrow than we are today. That is the worst motto for business I've ever heard, Julian. When you're the owner of the Empire Wrestling Federation, you get to say that. Hmm. The worst part is, you are correct. As happens in the wrestling business, two guys that don't know each other are matched up in a tag team. Today, Bobby Rivers and David Givens are two such guys. David, journeyman wrestler to never have much of a role other than being a good hand, and Bobby Rivers, who was all but out of the business up until getting a call out of nowhere from the outlaw Jesse James, thanks to kindness he once showed Burt Ironside's nephew, Chris Stanley. They walk through the old flea market, across from the Carowinds Amusement Park in Greensboro, North Carolina, weaving through the tables packed with people. David Given scratches his head as he looks around. A bowl look for game? Bobby looks at the tables with various shirts, accessories, and rolls of material. Jesse just said bandanas, uh, any color we can find. What's a gimmick? I've been doing like a, a rock and roll heavy metal deal. I think Jesse's fixing to do that with both of us. Oof. Hard rock, metal, I don't know, brother. More of a country western guy myself. George Strait, Bo Seepers, and the like. Hey, it's all a work, brother. You can fake it. What we do with the bandana? I reckon we just tie him up like a headband around our arms or legs and such. Just part of the look. Hey, I already got a couple pairs of tiger stripe tights. Some pink ones with the ass cheeks cut out, and some blue ones too. You can wear one of them. Uh, I'll take the blue one. But how much you want for him? Brother, this might be the last push I ever get in this business, and I can't hold nothing back, so you can have it. David Givens finds a pile of bandanas of all colors and shows them to Bobby. This one? That's the gimmick, brother. I'm in my name. No idea. Better get them all. David picks them all up. I don't even know if this gimmick will even work. Me doing it solo and all south? It was a hit or miss. Boys ribbed me a bit, too. That why I left Dallas? Uh, no, a bit more than that. But enough about me. This is about us. And if the gimmick don't get over, he can always turn his heel and give us a loudmouth manager or something. I always thought I'd be good as a heel. Either way suits me. Match last night went pretty smooth. You got some moves? Thanks, brother. I already know how good you are. I grew up watching your daddy out here in Georgia. Watch you and your brothers grow up in that ring. Surprised you even noticed me. My brother's got all the charisma in the family all up there from Brandon Crenshaw. He's just happy pig and shit. All that fucking shit got plenty of rats, pussy money. I'm the only one down here in Atlanta. Not doing much, but I'm working. Pay steady, just keep me booked. Even when we all went to Charlotte, always had a spot for me. Never had a push, though. You're better off down here. You never get a shot up in Nashville with your brothers. Not surprised about Jesse. Seems like a loyal guy. And if this shit works, We'll get all the rats. Old shit in a biscuit. You understood every word come out my mouth. Well, yeah. Why wouldn't I? Given smiles. Tell you what, you already got tight for us. I'll pay for these bandanas. 
A cardiac arrest is when your heart stops. It's not necessarily a heart attack. Technically, there don't even need to be any health risks for this to happen, because a blunt force trauma can absolutely cause it. So, he's going to live? Hollywood buddy Melrose is in the intensive care unit of Mount Sinai Hospital in Chicago. He's unconscious in bed with tubes coming out from all over his body, plugged into machines keeping him alive. He's not out of the woods yet, Mrs. Baskin, but I would say yes. The room is jam-packed with flowers, balloons, and cards. Beside him, talking to the doctor, our buddy's wife, Charlie Gotch, and Freddie Fangler, who all breathe a sigh of relief. Consider yourselves lucky you were here in Chicago in the stadium. We're only two miles away, and an ambulance is one of the few with the defibrillator. When will he get out? I'd expect him here for at least a week. You want me to have a look at those bruises on your neck while you're here? No, it's nothing. Charlie pulls away from the doctor, ashamed at the marks Goliath left on his neck, where he was completely powerless to do anything. The doctor leaves as they look down at the fallen Buddy Melrose. Good news, eh, Carol? I'm sure Buddy will be right back in no time at all, ready to win back his title. What's that? Oh, oh yes, I, thank you, Charlie. But it'll be kind of tough to do that with Goliath in Japan. Charlie gives him a dirty look with our belt. Charlie gives him an even dirtier look while Buddy Melrose's wife feels awkward. But, but a good riddance to that beast. If we never see him again in our lives, we'll, we'll be better off. Easy for you to see. Bert Ironside, the King of the South, isn't feeling very kingly these days. 1984 gave Bert a beating. It was a devastating year for all South wrestling, and the mistakes and tragedies that occurred have kicked in at the box office in a very big way. Bert, at his desk in his Dallas office, pours over the ledgers Booker Peyton Thomas filled out from the past week, seeing the dwindling crowds across the South, his one-time hotbeds losing interest fast in all South wrestling. What do you want? Bert's portly nephew, Chris Stanley, opens the door and stays in the doorway. You wanted to see me, Uncle? Blech. You seen yourself lately? You sure ain't sweating off the weight in this southern heat. You're fatter than ever. Chris looks down and pinches his growing belly, ashamed. Yeah, uh, this Texas barbecue is tough to turn down. Not to mention I've been drinking more beer than I did at college. I mean... Okay, enough, enough. I didn't call you in here to listen to your Weight Watchers confessions. Now, we got a couple boys coming in this week from Nashville. Brick Sawyer and Tiger Warren. You know them? Not in person, but I know them from magazines and stuff. Uh, Five-time WWA Mid-Southern Tag Team Champs. Tough guys. Yeah, they've been around and know what they're doing in the ring and know how to draw heat. But they can be a bit much sometimes. So I need you to keep an eye on them between towns. Keep them out of trouble. Chris gulps as he doesn't anticipate getting along like he did with Dan Sanders when he came down from Empire State. Is Dan Sanders still with us? I'm sure he'll swing through again one day. But he's slowing down his schedule. Working select dates around the Alliance. I think he's doing a few shots for Crusher in St. Louis now. Oh. Anything else you need me for? Nope. Chris musters up some courage and enters the room completely. Uncle, I had some ideas to sort of shake things up a bit. The way things ended in 84. Nope. That'll be all soon. Bert buries his head back in the paperwork. You want to hear this? I mean, things aren't going so great in ASW. 
Figured you'd be more open to anything now. <sighs> Bert takes off his reading glasses and looks over at Chris. You can't just walk in off the street and start being head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. The business don't work that way, kid. I, I know you and Peyton are booking, but I just want to be around and learn. Maybe throw an idea or two here and there, like I did with Crusher and Bobby Rivers, remember? I mean, I had this thought about the camera work. There's this thing that Pops does in the long shots, and what we can do- Enough, Chris. Beat it. Count yourself lucky you're here at all. I, boy, Go on, get. Gabriel Angel steps outside of the arena, coming back from his match, out of breath and sweaty, and sees Chris Stanley in the parking lot, pouting, throwing rocks. What's eating you, cousin? What? Oh, hi, Gabriel. Nothing. I just always feel like I'm on the verge of being fired by Uncle. Uh, seems like everything I'm doing around here, I'm not great at. And he's doing a great job of showing me that I don't belong here. I'm either setting up rings with that old pervert boxcar, or getting coffee for Pops in the TV truck, or picking up guys from the airport. Now he's got me watching Tiger Warren and Brick Sawyer. And I know it's going to be the shits. Brick and Tiger are coming. Hmm. And you're watching them? Good luck with that one. Great. Chin up, cuz. There's always a method to Bert's madness. Hello? Daniel, it's Julian. Hi, Julian. You want VBS? I want a million dollars in cash. Deal. You've got a deal, Julian. I said cash, Hawkins. You just have a million dollars laying around. CWA's the hottest territory in the Alliance. Haven't you heard? <laughs> I highly doubt that. Is this drug money or something? I can't have these funds seized or illegitimized somehow. Never mind where I get it from, Julian. Daniel looks at a picture of the wall of his family, standing in front of the North Carolina National Bank, his sister aggressively out front of the huge stone structure. Just get me a number to wire it to. Escrow, Julian. Of course. I'm not a thief. You really want to do this, Daniel? Yes. <laughs> You're gonna choke on that million. You know that, right? <laughs> I look forward to watching you bankrupt by the end of the year. Danny boy, wake up. We're here. Daniel Hawkins wakes up, his face smushed against the car window, drool streaking down the glass. The outlaw Jesse James pulls up in their Lincoln Continental car rental through a slushy parking lot of a bar in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Let's get this shindig started, because we gotta get back down to Chicago tomorrow for the Alliance meeting, then we fly to Hollywood to meet a Jimmy Buck. How's it feel to be so big time, Danny boy? In only their flimsy CWA satin jackets, Hawkins and Jesse walk around the parking lot corner to the back and they hear a commotion. They look up and see two powerlifter-looking guys on the rear porch, the cold blowing out of their mouths as one of them holds a skinny man upside down by his feet over the edge. The other crouches down and points in the pleading man's face. Pay up next time, you got it? The one holding him up swings his body back and forth and tosses him across the lot 
and lands right at the feet of Jesse James. <coughs> Hawkins jumps back as the two on the porch immediately recognize the outlaw. Holy shit, you're the world heavyweight champion, Jesse James. And this must be Mama Bees. Yeah, what are you doing up here? You join an AMW? Well, we came up here to meet y'all. They look at each other. You boys like wrestling? We fucking love it. Well, how'd you like to be one? Jesse James sits at a booth in the corner with Hawkins at his side. Seven of these hulks, all together, squeeze into this corner, cramming into chairs, squishing massive shoulder to massive shoulder to see and listen to the outlaw Jesse James. Their eyes agape, taking in every word and disbelief that he's even here. on TV and wrestling in front of thousands of people every night all over the country. And that's what we want to do. They all stare back at him, blankly. One of them asks, Did you, uh, bring the world title belt with you? Think we can see it? Yeah, can we touch it? Jesse looks at Daniel. Too many crickets. Prince wasn't just whistling Dixie about these guys. You boys listen to a word I said? Uh, yeah, Mr. James, uh, we're listening. You want to do this or what? One of the more massive of these giants speaks up for the first time. I have to ask, how much money can we make? Jesse turns to look at him, and his eyes light up as he can already see dollar signs working with this guy. What's your name, kid? My name is Nathan, sir. Uh, Nathan Wilkinson. Well, Nathan, being a wrestler ain't easy. Not everyone's cut out for it. But with your bodies and looks, those of you who work hard and are dedicated, make more money than you've ever seen in your life. They all turn around as one unit and huddle up. Daniel looks at Jesse impatiently, while Jesse coolly drops his whiskey shot as they finally turn back around. Yes, Mr. James, we're in. This would be a dream come true for us. We begged Charlie Gotch for years to train us, and he wanted nothing to do with us. Really? I got a question, though. How in the Sam Hill did y'all end up in the, the same place? There's something in the water up here? No, man, we've been best friends since high school. We lift weights together, we fuck together, we do everything together. We're the best of the best, baby. <laughs> the 1979 Wisconsin State football champions. Yeah, the best come from Oshkosh North. The meat machine. Yeah, let's go. They all turn and form a circle and put their hands in the middle. Jesse smiles at this spectacle while Hawkins backs up in his seat, almost frightened by what a bizarre lot this is. Quite a phenomenon up here. Boy, I tell you. So this is all of you, right? Or they got more of you hidden somewhere? Everybody, Yeah, that's everybody, Jesse. Okay, then I'll leave the address here, and I expect you boys to be in Atlanta next week. Prince Abdullah and Bob Walker will start the train. Do we have to listen to Prince Abdullah? Is there a problem, boy? Yeah, a little bit of a problem. Uh, you saw what he did to Dan Sanders in Chicago. Attacking him after the bell, uh, almost ending his career. Yeah, and all that other crap. I saw him on TV saying how much he hates America. I mean, if he's going to teach us how to hate America, I got news for you. It will work. I will still love America no matter what. Um, 
We'll talk about that more next week. Uh, just get your asses down to Atlanta. Jesse pats Daniel on the shoulder as they walk out the door. Well, Danny boy, they got million-dollar bodies and ten-cent brains. Jesse, they're total marks. This is going to be a disaster. Don't worry. It's how everybody starts out. Uh, sort of. tallest one speaks up. Hey guys, why didn't we tell him about Vance? He's the best out of all of us. I know he is. That's why I shut you up, Mike. There's already seven of us. We'll be lucky if we all make it anyway. You heard what Jesse was saying. Vance is better looking than any of us, is the best body out of all of us, and is the best athlete by a mile. He even has a cool fucking name, Vance Armstrong. He'll make us all look like pieces of shit. Yeah, you're right. It's okay, Michael. And technically speaking, he's not part of the meat machine. Uh, we just work with him here, right? Yep, he is right. He's already doing stuntman work, boxing, and karate tournaments. You don't need this like we do. Fans don't even like wrestling. Yeah, Bobby makes a good point. You all know I'm not into wrestling like you guys, but I still watch it. Sorry, Vance. You're out. Listen, nobody tells Vance about this. Got it? Yeah. Let's do this. We're gonna be fucking wrestlers. <laughs> M E A T M A C Chinese. We machine. We machine. All right. Since we did our report, Tylenol now has to put plastic seals on their pills from now on, because we are fighting for the people against these fraudulent companies. Michael Sluck sits behind the ABC News exposed desk in a foamy white neck brace beside the other two professional reporters. We've been watching. So Michael, what on earth happened with your neck? I mean, great Scott, look at the state of you. This has to do with our report next week. And this is a doozy. The newest fraud is professional wrestling. This came from a complete and total coward named Crusher Krawcheck. But you'll have to tune in next week to find out. There you have it. The table is set for this season and we're just getting started. This week's deleted scene was Diamond Donnie Gold visiting the outlaw Jesse James at his ranch, the first time speaking with Jesse since he left for the Empire last year. If you are a championship tier or top guy or top girl on Patreon, then I hope you enjoyed that scene. If you did not hear that, then you're listening to the worldwide release version of The Kings of the Ring, and I invite you to become a patron because every episode this season will have a deleted scene only on Patreon. You can still follow The Kings of the Ring if you don't, uh, but the deleted scenes will definitely enhance and expand on the story, and it'll feature some pretty cool stuff. But please check out the Patreon page to see all the benefits you'll get, all for contributing what you would hopefully consider a small dollar amount to support the most unique show in all of audio drama and pro wrestling podcasts. And speaking of top guys and top girls, I want to shout out to our top guys at Patreon, Jeremiah DeBolt, Russ Linderman, Zach Like. Dom Rose, and Nathan Wilkinson. 
That's right, the same Nathan Wilkinson who was one of the meat machine guys Jesse James was recruiting at the Oshkosh bar. That's how this works. Top guys and top girls get to be characters in the Kings of the Ring. The championship tier patrons will also have exclusive access to our other podcast series, Breaking Kayfabe, the director's commentary or inside scoop series. This week, you'll hear about the Baltimore accent, the story with Nellie Gotch stabbing Goliath with scissors, and what the alternative weapon would have been, plus a remark on racism against black people in wrestling, stemming from Julian's brainstorm on what to do with Hercules Harris, uh, the resurrection of Buddy Melrose, his wife, and much more. Coming up in episode 22, World Wrestling Alliance has a huge meeting at Charlie Gotch's house, plus Jesse James and Daniel Hawkins finally meet famed Hollywood comedian Jimmy Buck. And Buddy Melrose gets an unexpected visitor, and the world sees the ABC News exposed report on professional wrestling. So make sure you subscribe, like, favorite, or whatever your podcast app uses to get you the newest episode to you ASAP and leave a review on that app if possible. And as always, thanks so much for listening to the Kings of the Ring.